Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Last week, the U.S. Department of Transportation announced that under a new rule, which goes into effect in January, they will no longer consider emotional support animals as service animals. Essentially, airlines are banning emotional support animals from planes. And the new rule also will allow only dogs to serve as service animals. This allows airlines to limit the types of animals that fly for free. Now, just to remind you the difference between an emotional support animal and a service animal, under Title II and Title III of the American Disabilities Act, a service animal means any dog that is individually trained to do work or perform tasks for the benefit of an individual with a disability, including a physical, sensory, psychiatric, intellectual, or other mental disability. So a service animal helps a person who's blind to navigate, or assists an individual during a seizure, or assists a person with balance and stability issues or mobility disabilities. Emotional support animals, unlike service animals, do not have special training to perform tasks that assist people with disabilities. Emotional support animals provide companionship. They relieve loneliness and sometimes help with depression or anxiety and certain phobias. And emotional support animals are not limited to dogs. And I understand. I have dogs and cats, and they provide an incredible amount of emotional support for me. My dogs ease my anxiety. They comfort me when I'm down or sad. They lift my spirits. I sleep better when my animals are next to me. So I get it. I know what our companion animals can do for us, for our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. And I'm scared of flying. I really do hate to fly. Bringing one of my dogs or cats along on the plane to comfort me would definitely ease my anxiety, and I would love to do that. And it's tempting, but I can see how travelers might take advantage of and abuse this policy. Just put a vest on your dog or other animal, or get your doctor to write a note stating you need to fly with your animal for emotional support, and that's it. It's pretty easy to get away with. And then it's not just dogs and cats. People can claim their pig or miniature horse or peacock or hedgehog or whatever to be their emotional support animal. So you can see how it gets out of hand. In addition, there are people who claim their pet is an emotional support animal to avoid the $150 or $175 one-way pet fee, which gets waived with an emotional support animal. So listen to this. Airlines for America and Airline Trade Association estimate that the number of passengers flying with emotional support animals in 2018 increased by 14% following a 60% increase the year before. This group states that the rise has also accompanied a sharp increase in incidents caused by the animals from biting to defecation. Airlines for America president and CEO Nicholas Calio said, the Department of Transportation's final rule will protect the traveling public and airline crew members from untrained animals in the cabin, as well as improve air travel accessibility for passengers with disabilities that travel with trained service dogs. So, new rule, only dogs can fly for free as service animals only. No emotional support animals. So I like it. I think this was an easily abused policy. And listen, passengers without an emotional support animal do have rights too. And if you're on a five-hour flight across the country, you might not be thrilled to sit next to someone's emotional support pig or peacock or whatever. So I think it's a good rule. I think it needed to be done. 
And no doubt, I think the airlines also did this for economic reasons, because it's been estimated that with this ban of emotional support animals in place, the airlines will gain up to $59.6 million a year in pet fees. However, I will say that I do fear that now more and more people will check their emotional support animal or their pet into the cargo hold, which is extremely dangerous and risky. We've reported on horror stories about people's beloved pets and what happened to them when they checked their animals in like a piece of luggage, and these animals are put with the cargo. Animals get lost or misplaced or stolen. Can you imagine? We've reported on cases in which the animal freezes to death or overheats and dies from dehydration. So my advice, without sounding like I'm minimizing the value of having an emotional support animal and what our animals do for our overall well-being, I mean, I can barely stand being away from my dogs and cats for one day. But my advice is when you travel by plane, leave your animals at home and perhaps pick up breathing or meditation practices. And listen, I hate flying. I'm one of those white knuckle flyers. I have my Valium if I need it. I have a cocktail on board if I need it. Not at the same time as the Valium, of course. But I'm telling you, never allow your pet to be checked in and stored with the cargo. Extremely risky and dangerous for your pet. And I want to say one more thing about this new Department of Transportation rule. The AP reports that the Transportation Department stood by an earlier decision to prohibit airlines from banning entire dog breeds. So you should know that Delta Airlines banned pit bull type dogs back in 2018, whether they were service animals or emotional support animals. So no pit bull type dogs allowed on Delta. The Transportation Department prohibits airlines from doing this. By the way, this ban on pit bull type dogs by Delta Airlines was not only criticized by animal advocates and dog lovers, but by disability advocates. These are service dogs for disabled individuals. So the Department of Transportation prohibits airlines from banning a given breed of dog. And Delta is giving no indication of backing down. In a statement, a Delta spokeswoman said the airline is reviewing the new rule, but, quote, at this time, there are no changes to Delta's current service and support animal policies. So this is breed discrimination and shame on Delta. And we can get into the whole discussion about breed discrimination and how it's very difficult to identify what kind of dog you really have just by looking at the dog's appearance. That's called visual breed identification. And it's inaccurate. More times than not, your guess at what kind of breed a dog is by just looking at it because he might have a certain trait that reminds you of what a particular breed looks like, and you'll likely be proven wrong by DNA analysis. So that's one of the many problems with these breed discrimination rules and laws. The federal government ruled that Delta's ban on pit bull type dogs is illegal. I mean, airline employees have a right to bar any dog or any animal they consider a safety threat at the time, no matter the breed. But it's illegal for them to ban an entire kind of dog. And there's been cases where well-mannered, calm, obedient service dogs and their owners were kicked off the plane, Delta plane, because the dog was a pit bull type dog. This is crazy. Delta's response is, we are looking after, quote, the safety of the staff and customers. Even though the Department of Transportation clearly states 
quote, limiting a service animal based exclusively on its breed is not allowed under the department's Air Carrier Access Act regulation. And they go on. If you are ever turned away from a flight due to a service dog's breed, you are asked to file a disability complaint with the U.S. Department of Transportation. We've had guests on Animals Today who specifically adopt out and train shelter dogs that have been labeled as pit bulls to be service dogs for people with disabilities. Regina Lizick is one of these individuals. She commented on this Delta ban. She states, first and foremost, it's about people. Delta is discriminating against people. When Delta or anyone puts out a regulation like this that dictates what kind of dog can be a service dog, they are reducing access for someone with a disability. The president and CEO of ASPCA also responds to Delta Airlines' ban on pit bull policy. He states, Delta Airlines' policy to ban pit bull-type dogs as comfort or service animals does not achieve its stated public safety aim and spreads false and life-threatening stereotypes. Every dog is unique, even dogs within the same breed, and their behavior is influenced by many factors, including socialization, developmental experiences, training, environment, and genetics. In fact, pit bull-type dogs have long been popular family pets, noted for their affection and loyalty. So there you go. If you're blind or have a disability and your service dog whom you rely on is a pit bull-like dog, too bad for you. You will not be allowed on Delta Airlines. Today's Animals Today Minute is about three of the largest birds on Earth. Did you know that the ostrich is the world's largest bird? It's true. The ostrich typically weighs between 140 pounds and 350 pounds, and the adults stand six to nine feet tall. Ostriches are also the fastest two-legged animal on land. They can run up to 60 miles per hour and sustain that pace for quite a while. Commensurate with their size, the eggs of ostriches are the largest of all bird eggs, weighing about three pounds each and measuring six inches long. Their huge eyes, about two inches across, are the largest of any land animal, but also larger than their own brains. They allow the detection of slight movements of potential predators from great distances. Their relatives are cassowaries, emus, kiwis, and rheas. The wandering albatross, or the snowy albatross, is the largest living flying bird. It has the largest wingspan of any bird, exceeding 11 feet in some individuals. They fly distances of up to 75,000 miles in a single year, adding up to 15 million miles over one's life. That's some serious mileage. An adult male weighs up to 25 pounds. The wandering albatross employs a flight technique called dynamic soaring to conserve calories and harness the wind's energy to soar beautifully above open waters. And they have a special gland located above their nasal passages, which allows them to regulate their body's salt balance by excreting a concentrated saline solution from it. Recently, their numbers have been rapidly declining, putting them on the red list for conservation status. The emperor penguin is the largest and heaviest species of penguin and is native to Antarctica. They weigh up to 100 pounds and stand 45 inches in height. Like all penguins, they are flightless. Their bodies are exquisitely hydrodynamic and they have strong flippers, both of which make them excellent swimmers. They can swim up to speeds of 12 miles per hour. Emperor penguins can also dive deeper than any other bird and they can hold their breath for more than 20 minutes. 
The emperor penguins share their labor when it comes to preparing for the young, with the male taking care of newly laid eggs. During that time, male penguins eat nothing for more than two months. The females search for food in the open oceans, collect it in their bellies, and regurgitate the swallowed food for the newly hatched chicks. Emperor penguins all look virtually identical, which makes individual recognition very difficult. To overcome this, emperor penguins have evolved different sounding voices and the ability to recognize the unique voices of their mates or chicks. And that's your Animals Today Minute for today. Welcome back to Animals Today. Okay, Peter, in political animal news... Socialist Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez presumably AOC AOC yes presumably purchased a purebred dog specifically a French bulldog now I say presumably because she refuses to answer questions about the dog's origin whether he was adopted from a shelter or purchased from a breeder well, animal rights groups are not happy about what Cortez did. President of PETA, Ingrid Newkirk, states, with the millions of homeless dogs out there, you apparently chose to buy a purebred puppy instead of adopting one from an animal shelter. She goes on, right this minute on Pet Finder alone, there are more than 110,000 dogs, including French bulldogs who need homes. Animal shelters are bursting at the seams with hundreds of thousands more, many of whom will be put to sleep for lack of a home. French bulldogs are inbred in order to produce breed-specific traits, which cause health problems that many people who will be influenced by your purchase won't be able to afford to address, she says. She goes on, they are particularly at risk because their cute features plague them with a lifetime of breathing problems, ear and eye infections, skin irritation, a weak stomach, and other issues. Yes. On Instagram, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez asked her followers to provide name suggestions saying, quote, he doesn't have a name yet. We are thinking something Star Trek related or Bronx, Queens, New York City, social good related, she states. She also states in a tweet, the goal is to train him to be a community pup. Ideally, we want to work to the point where he can enjoy town halls, be an Amtrak pup, come to the office, etc. What the hell is she doing? <laughs> Peter, should we be shaming Cortez over the pick of dogs? Of course we should. Okay. Yeah. You know, she has so many followers. Really? She could set such a great example if she had rescued a dog from a shelter and encouraging her followers to do the same. And I said the same thing about our former president. One of Obama's campaign promises was to adopt a dog, and he ended up getting a dog, Portuguese water dog, as a gift dog was from a breeder and guess what after that a lot of people wanted a portuguese water dog like the president has and they say there were no scandals in the obama administration <laughs> as you probably know peter this breed cortez got the the french bulldog has some health risks just like a lot of purebred dogs have they especially have trouble breathing and along with respiratory disorders these dogs can also suffer from spinal disorders eye diseases heart disease and joint diseases so I'll tell you, she's really going to be under the microscope when or if this dog develops health problems. We'll see how she handles them. Hide them. 
That's right. Do you know that Joe Biden has two rescue dogs? No. They're German shepherds named Champ and Major. Biden adopted Major, we reported on this last year, from the Delaware Humane Association in November after fostering the puppy for months. Major was part of a litter that was exposed to toxic chemicals before they were brought to the shelter. Beautiful dog. Have you seen a picture of Major? I don't think I've seen Major. What other familiar and currently relevant political names have rescued pets? 2020 presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg, right. Buttigieg has two rescue dogs. Truman, a beagle Labrador mix who was adopted by him and his husband in 2017. And Buddy, a one-eyed pug beagle mix was adopted in 2018. So nice. Okay, you got to respect that. Yes. Do we judge a person by whether they choose to adopt and save a life rather than purchase from a breeder? We shouldn't, but we we do. do. What about Elizabeth Warren? You think she's the type of person who would rescue a dog? Uh, Let's see. I don't know this, but I'm going to say she's not an animal person. Nope. She doesn't rescue. She has a golden retriever named... What's one of the most popular dog names for... Bella. Bailey. Bailey. Bailey Close. Not rescued. How about Kristen Gillibrand? You know who she is, right? Yeah, yeah. You think she rescued? I'm going to say yes. No. (laughs) What kind of dog do you think Kristen Gillibrand has? She's got a big, big uh, Alaskan Malamute type dog. (laughs) Good guess. A Labradoodle. Oh, Designer dog. Yeah. That didn't surprise me. You know, former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper... He was another 2020 Democratic presidential candidate. I think he dropped out of the race the middle of last year. He has a rescued dog named Sky. Oh. Yes, listeners might know we too have a rescued dog named Sky. Peter, you might find this interesting. When Hickenlooper was governor, he signed two measures aimed at protecting and recognizing the importance of people's pets. First was a bill called the Dog Protection Act, which was really the first of its kind in the United States. This Colorado statute requires local law enforcement to undergo training in order to prevent the shooting of dogs by local law enforcement officers in the line of duty. Specifically, the statute aims to assist in training officers to differentiate between threatening and non-threatening dog behaviors, as well as to employ non-lethal means whenever possible. The sponsor of the bill was a former Republican member of the Colorado State Senate, David Balmer. He came up with the bill after seeing a home video of a Commerce City officer shooting a lab pitbull mix named Chloe after tasing it. Yeah. The officer, who claimed the dog was a threat, was later charged with animal cruelty. And apparently there were like 40 other cases in Colorado where police officers shot and killed people's dogs when responding to calls over the prior few years. So that's one bill former Colorado Governor Hickenlooper signed. The second bill designated shelter pets as the official state pet. Okay, so enough about the 2020 presidential Democratic candidates. Something you might not know is our Vice President Pence adopted at least a couple of their prior companion animals. Pickle and Oreo, both cats. In 2017, Second Lady Karen Pence stated on Instagram when Pickle died, We all will miss Pickle, our very chatty, sweet kitty of 16 years. The vice president's daughter, Charlotte Pence, posted a heartfelt tribute to Pickle on Instagram. When we first rescued Pickle 15 years ago, she had been neglected, so she was scared and mean and almost never let us hold her. When we said goodbye to her last night, she was purring in my arms. 
Thank you, Pickle, for teaching us about how the power of love and family can change someone. Isn't that sweet? Very nice. Very nice. And earlier that year, they lost Oreo. Oreo was their 13-year-old cat. At that time, Karen Pence tweeted, Rest in peace, Oreo. You touched a lot of hearts in your little life. Our family will miss you very much. Mm. I love that she's able to make that announcement about a cat, right? Yeah, yeah. Don't you think it's more common for people to not understand your feelings or you're grieving when your cat dies and when your dog dies? Yeah, yeah. I think people are less likely to talk about the loss or death of their beloved cat than their beloved dog. Not because people love their dogs more than their cats, but the belief or fear that people will not validate your feelings when you're grieving over your cat. Just a cat? You're grieving over your cat? Which one of our ignorant physician colleagues said something like that to us, Peter? Yes, one did. I'm not going to name him. You don't want to name him on national radio? You think he's listening to the radio show about animals? I doubt it. Okay. What did he say? We're at a medical conference. You get something like you get another cat. Yeah. We got an urgent call from our pet sitter, and he said something like, oh, just get another one. It's just a cat. Yeah. What an ignorant person. Anyway, Vice President Pence also had a rescue dog, a beagle. And currently, the vice president has a pet rabbit. Marlon Bundo. Hmm. Marlon Bundo has his own Instagram account. I'm assuming based on the prior rescued animals in that family that the bunny is from a rescue, but don't know for sure. More with animals today after this break. For the past three decades, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. ISAR is committed to advancing the rights of animals through a variety of law-based programs, including legislation, litigation, and public education, including model laws. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.com. Dr. Lori, and you're listening to Animals Today. I'm proud to say that Animals Today is now in its 12th year of continuous weekly broadcasts, bringing you animal welfare and animal rights news and stories from around the globe. Animals Today is a project of the nonprofit animal welfare organization advancing the interests of animals. Its mission is to improve the lives of animals and to encourage increased compassion and respect for all living beings. Visit them at aianimals.org. And if you like listening to this radio show and you like what we're doing, consider making a donation to Advancing the Interests of Animals to support the ongoing broadcast of Animals Today. Their website is aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. And click Support Us. Welcome back to Animals Today. Okay, cat people, I think you're going to love my next guest, cat behaviorist Rita Reimers. Rita's been working with cats for 30 years and, and considers her ability to understand cats and their funny behaviors her calling in life. She helps people understand their cats and find solutions to behavioral issues that might otherwise cause a cat to be surrendered. Welcome to the program, Rita. Thank you for having me, Dr. Laurie. I really appreciate it. Rita, I read that the most common behavioral problem reported by pet parents of cats is inappropriate elimination, and that it's estimated that 10% of cats will eliminate outside their litter box at some point in their lives. What are some reasons cats do not use the litter box? Yeah, that's a great question. And that is the number one reason cats are surrendered to shelters. Um, often it is undiagnosed medical issues. As you probably know, less than 50% of our pet cat 
companions make it to the veterinarian's office. And cats are such masters at hiding their illness that often by the time you spot an inappropriate urination outside the box or something else, um, there's a pretty decent infection going on. But of course, some of it can be behavioral as well. Um, if you've got a few cats and maybe the litter isn't quite as clean. I have one cat that's really picky and she follows me around as I scoop the litter boxes and she's got to be the first one in, you know, <laughs> she doesn't like to use it once anyone's done anything in it. Um, also, if you've got some bullying going on, sometimes cats bully each other around the litter box just because they can. So the other one is scared to go in there and make themselves vulnerable. It's easier to pee outside of it and run off than to be stuck inside the litter and get antagonized. But the number one thing I would say is if your cat is suddenly peeing outside the box, that veterinary visit to rule out urinary tract infection or any other type issue is the number one thing to do. Now, Urine marking is different than having cat box issues. It is. Rita, what is urine marking and how does it differ from a litter box problem? Well, it's more common in males, although some females do marking. Cats tend to do that out in nature to uh, identify their territory and signal to other cats they are not welcome. This territory is claimed. Now, an indoor cat may do it if there's too many cats in the household or um, sometimes if just something changes in the household. Somebody gets married and there's a new person in the household. I've dealt with that. Even uh Their favorite human maybe is the child who went off to college and is now not there. So insecurity can cause marking and cats to spray up a territory that they want to keep all to themselves. And how do you treat urine marking in cats? One of the things I suggest is getting uh, one of those feel away or similar type of uh, plug in that helps. It's a pheromone release. That helps calm the cats. Um, if you've got multi-cats, there's a multi-cat version that actually simulates the hormones that mama cat releases that helps all the kittens get along with each other. So mm. that will help. I also love uh, some herbal remedies. Uh, Jackson Galaxy's got some herbal remedies. Um, Rescue Remedy for Pets is great. You just put it in the water, and it just helps them relax. Then you, you might want to investigate the root cause. For example... Um, If you've moved to a smaller place and there's not as much room, add some vertical space, some tall cat trees and other places for cats to go. Adding vertical space is giving them new territory. So uh, a lot of time, uh, it just takes some time and, and knowing what the cause is. But again, number one thing I always tell people, go to your veterinarian. Make sure that there is not a medical reason for their sudden anxiety. And, uh, you know, all the best uh, behavior advice in the world can't correct a medical issue. So that's right. always my number one. Right. So what I say is always bearing in mind you've already done that. Right, exactly. And you don't rub your cat's nose into the urine, right? No, 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 never. They don't right. understand. Right. They don't, you know, cat, do, it's not good for dogs either. I know that's not really what you do anymore, although it was back in the olden days. But with a cat, for sure, that's never going to work. It's going to make the cat mistrust you and maybe even get more anxious and pee and spray more. Right. Now, Rita, cats like to scratch. Scratching is one of cats' instinctive urges. This is normal cat behavior. We have Mm -hmm. scratching posts and pads set up throughout our house, which our cats use all the time. 
before we get into the issue of destructive scratching of the furniture or drapes or carpeting, can you tell us why do cats scratch? Well, cats are such wonderful hunters and they come equipped with those claws, right? They use their teeth and claws to catch and kill their prey out of nature. That's how they eat. So in order to keep their weapons sharp and healthy and keep their paws healthy, they need to flex those paws and they need to scratch to um, release the outer sheath of the nail. It's kind of like us clipping our nails. Mm -hmm. They're getting rid of the dead nail and, you know, showing their new fresh nails, keeping them sharp. They also, um, in their paws, they're scent glands. So some of the time they're also marking as they're scratching. And it's just something cats need to do. And there's no two ways around it. Right. Never going to stop them. Exactly. And so how do we prevent our cats from clawing at or scratching the things that most of us would consider off limits, like our furniture or like our furniture? Yeah, that's a challenge, but it's not impossible. Teaching our cats acceptable areas to scratch and making those areas that they seem to gravitate toward initially, like your sofa, unpleasant for them, putting a little uh, temporary plastic around your sofa. There's also some uh, tapes, sticky tape, two-sided sticky tape you can put on your sofa edges so that that's really unpleasant feeling to your cats. Bringing in scratching pads and posts of various types. Some cats like to scratch flat. You'll notice those are the cats that scratch on your carpet. So they'll want those flat scratching areas. And the ones that tend to scratch up on your sofa you know, the upright part, they like to scratch more upright. So that's where your scratching poles and posts would come in. And, you know, you want to teach them and get them excited about using them. Uh, I often tell people spray little catnip spray over there. They'll they'll uh, go over to investigate. And, you know, sooner or later, cats put their paws on things to learn about what it is, you know. That's their hands. So they'll get it. And just like dogs, cats can be trained, right? They can. I like to use the word teach just because training, a lot of people think I'm a cat trainer and no, there's some wonderful trick trainers out there and, you know, cats can learn some awesome things, but I'm more of a a teacher, you know, teaching cats the alternative and giving them more pleasurable things to scratch versus uh, scratching up our furniture. Now, that doesn't mean your cat's not going to ever you know, try to go over there and scratch your furniture, but then that's your job to guide her over to the appropriate place and show her where to scratch. Is shaking a can of pennies or clapping your hands really loud when the cat does unwanted behaviors like scratching your furniture, is that effective? Well, it can also make your cat a little afraid of you. So I I reserve those things for if you've got two cats about to have, you know, a physical showdown, you know, that you really have to get them to move urgently, I reserve those loud noises and things for that type of uh, instruction. There's also these uh, air gun things where you can put like, you can put something in front of your sofa that is, it's an air canister. And when they cross the beam of the air canister, it'll blast a little air out. That's a little better because that will happen whether you're there or not. It won't be directly associated with you yeah. or shaking the pennies or, you know, squirting them with water. They'll directly associate that with you and, and a little mistrust might start building. But like you said, putting a, a scratching post by the sofa or by the area where your mm-hmm. cat scratches should do the trick. It should. Can you- make it appealing to them. Make, make her right. want to go over there with the catnip spray. And can you share with us why declawing is not an effective method for stopping unwanted 
destructive scratching. Yeah. Ouch. When I was growing up, that was what you did. You got a cat, you got a declawed. That was, there was no two ways about it. Yeah. But now, you know, as people have started to learn and veterinarians too, exactly the damage that can be done to your cat. It's like taking the first joint off your finger where your nail grows out. If somebody took that joint off, well, you wouldn't have any fingernails left. Well, that's the same way with your cat. They take the first joint off, but What's bad, what's really bad about that, not only are you disfiguring your cat, your cat has to learn to walk all over again. Like, say you amputated the first joint on each of your toes, you wouldn't walk very easily. You'd have to relearn that all over again, and you might have residual pain from that as well. Another thing we're finding is some, well, some veterinarians who have done declawing haven't done it properly, and we've seen instances where the nail starts growing again out of the bone that's left, and that's very painful to the cat. And declawing is really a misnomer because it implies that you're only just removing the the claws. And it's not. Like you said, it's an amputation of of the the bone. Many veterinarians also just won't do it because they know that to be a painful operation, it can lead to many long-term problems for your cat, like you explained. Mm -hmm. As many cities are banning declawing as well. Okay, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to ask Rita about cat aggression and what we can do about it. Also, what's the best way to introduce a new cat to a multi-cat household? You're listening to Animals Today. holidays are here and we want to remind you of a few things that you can do to keep your dogs and cats safe and happy this season. First, make sure the Christmas tree is secure and cannot fall over and that tree ornaments, which can be eaten, are out of reach. And make sure the tree's water, which can get overgrown with bacteria, is covered so no one will drink it. Holiday plants like holly, mistletoe, and poinsettias are toxic to pets. And be especially careful with lilies, which can cause kidney failure in cats if ingested. Electrical wires should be covered or out of reach. And use extra care with candles, or avoid using them at all. Cats love to play with and eat tinsel, which can lead to intestinal problems and even surgery. So we suggest avoiding tinsel altogether. Don't let your pets eat chocolate, alcohol, table scraps, or anything sweetened with xylitol. And of course, don't give them or let them eat any bones, which can splinter and lodge in the throat or block the intestines. And remember, the holidays can be very stressful for your companion animals. So make sure your dogs and cats have a nice quiet place they can retreat to, away from your guests, so they can rest and sleep in peace. So happy holidays from everyone at Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's www.aianimals.org. Today is a project of advancing the interest of animals. Advancing the interest of animals is a nonprofit animal welfare organization. We're based here in Palm Springs, California. And if you like what we're doing, please consider donating a little bit to Advancing the Interests of Animals to support the continued production of the show. The website's aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Welcome back to the show. We're speaking with someone who knows a lot about cat behavior. Rita, talk about aggression in cats. Is aggression a feline behavioral problem you commonly see? 
it is fairly common, especially if you adopt a cat that's been in and out of rescue or foster. Not not discouraging you from doing that, but you have to know when you bring home a cat like that, he's scared. You don't know what he's been through. Some cats will cower and hide. Other cats get more aggressive about protecting themselves. It's just like people, you know, some people are more timid than others. So a new cat that maybe is acting aggressively, even if he's the only cat, you need to give him some time to settle in and become more self-confident in the space. You know, some people take a cat home and if they're not perfect in a week or a day, sometimes they want to return it. But that's not how cats work. Right. And especially if you bring home a new cat and your current cat suddenly turns aggressive, well, that's just your cat trying to protect his resources. Out in nature, you know, food and shelter and water are scarce. And it's so inborn and ingrained in a cat's psyche, their whole world is about preservation of self and not becoming dinner. So they bring that into the house. New cat comes in. Sometimes they get along great right off the bat, but more often than not, you're going to have some initial resistance and aggression and fear. But you can get over that given time and uh, the proper tools to do your introductions. And of course, if you've, if you've got a cat that's suddenly acting aggressive for no reason, there's been no changes, then that might indicate uh, a medical issue that you, yeah. you need to have your veterinarian check out. Um, I once did a behavior session because this person had three cats and one of the cats suddenly was turning vicious and was attacking the other cat that used to be their buddy. Well, long story short, found out this cat had a back injury that they didn't know about and the other cat must have jumped on him. And so from that point forward, he was scared to be touched because he didn't want to feel that pain again. That's right. That's right. Right. I would start that cat off in a separate room. Uh, actually just took in a stray that one of my rescue friends found. Let's see, he's been with us about three and a half weeks now. Um, he's a senior cat. I have him in, I have a cat playroom upstairs and he's in there, although the door's open now. Some of my other cats have come in to meet him, but you know, he's, he's scared because he was just tossed out after his owner died. He had been outside for about a month and he's an old guy. He's somewhere between 13 and 15. You know, he didn't, he didn't know how to fend for himself, but um, he's not aggressive. Some of my other cats came up and they were a little aggressive to him and then they left. But uh, I have this wonderful cat named Simon who's just been sticking by his side, uh, even though um, this new cat, Maxwell, even though he's been a little bit reluctant to let anyone near him, he and Simon have become cautious friends. So I think that's helping him to feel comfortable here. And and I just, I spend a lot of extra time with Maxwell so that he knows this is home. I'm his mommy and he's not going to be outside fending for himself again. It depends on the cat's temperament, but I always like to start my new cats off in a separate room. I call that like their touch room. Whenever they get scared, they kind of go back to that room. You know, that's, that's their, their safe place. Right. So I have a big, uh, cat area upstairs. It's, it's, uh, the bonus room. It's huge. And I've got litter and, you know, sofas and cat trees and all kinds of things in there. I started Maxwell off in there first with the door closed and then later with the door open. But you need to have this new cat needs time to adjust. You know, you don't, sometimes know what they've been through. I don't know fully what this cat's life was like, you know, before my rescue friend was uh, alerted to him being outside and, and needing help. So being patient, you know, being a consistent source of food and love, Maxwell comes up and he lays on my, my chest for long periods of time. At first it was because he was just so exhausted from 
you know, trying to fend for himself when he didn't know how. And uh, so you just need to really spend time making him feel comfortable. Um, maybe if you've got a cat that's more easygoing than another, like my Simon, you know, I let Simon come in first and meet him. It just takes patience and time and, and consistency. And cats love routine and consistency, I'll tell you. They, they really do. And if they know what to expect from you or they know what's coming at a certain time of day, they'll start to relax more. And finally, most everyone knows that a cat's meow is her normal communication behavior. It's her way of communicating yes. and communicating with people. My cats meow when they want to say hello to me, when they ask me for things, when they want food or treats, when they tell me something's wrong or to get my attention, like asking to be let in another room or go into our enclosed patio. Does meowing ever become excessive and and what should I do if my cat meows excessively? Uh, it can be excessive. And it's funny because my latest post on readerrhymers.com on my blog is about the cat meow um, and the different types and what it can mean. If your cat starts meowing excessively and that's not normal for him, usually that's indicative, indicative of a medical issue. Um, my sweet pea who passed away but she was 17 and she started just going into the bathroom and meowing excessively and really loud. And I took her to the vet because I couldn't figure out what was going on. And well, for one, she was losing her hearing. So she was meow extra loud because she didn't know how loud she was meowing anymore. And she was becoming a bit senile. So sometimes an older cat Believe it or not, they can become senile and not know where they are suddenly. Yeah. And that's scary, just like it is for a person. And they can start meowing for that reason. Um, she also had uh, thyroid issues. And hypothyroidism in cats can cause excessive meowing. Now, on, on, on another way they can start excessively meowing is if you shut them out of a certain room. I, I had this couple I did behavior counseling with, and they started shutting their cat out of the room because he was just keeping them up all night. Well, of course, outside the bed, the bathroom, the bedroom door, the cat starts rattling the door, meowing incessantly, scratching at the door just because he wanted in. So sometimes it's that type of issue that will cause a cat to excessively meow. And for them, you know, we worked on a bedtime habit ritual that they could uh, institute and they actually started putting him to sleep in a separate room at the end of the night they take him into that room give him treats give him a lot of extra playtime so he was ready to go to sleep and then they would go to sleep in their room and that really started cutting down on the caterwauling reader rhymers this has been very informative thank you very much how can listeners learn more about you well, you could go to my website, readarhymers.com, and also on Pet Life Radio, I have a radio show called 19 Cats and Counting, because I have 19 cats and counting. Actually, I have 20 now with Max. That's my Max number. That's why his name's Max. Um, <laughs> so you could go to uh, 19catsandcounting.com or readarhymers.com. That's R-E-I-M-E-R-S. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to see you on my website. Rita, thank you. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. And I, I'm really uh, grateful that you're out there helping educate people about cats and dogs. Okay, thanks for tuning into the show. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals.